what's going on anyway? I don't know if anyone has the answer to that, but we've arrived here with that question once again. I'm your host, Anne Headley, and this is my podcast. What is going on anyway? We've arrived at the new flower moon in April in Aries with an eclipse. It's been a rainy April showers kind of day today, and the grass is greening up really quickly. It seems like overnight. I woke up today and it looked like the daylilies were three inches taller than they were the day before. Daffodils are ready to bloom, and the grass is green. The paths through the hayfield are green inside of the yellow hayfield that has the green hasn't come back up through yet. It's really beautiful out there right now. Last night we had a really warm rain and it was not the first warm rain but it's the first warm rain since the ground has really thawed well and mostly all the snow is melted. And that is a special kind of night here. The peepers were out, the frogs were out, but it's the night that the spotted salamanders will travel to their vernal pools. And that's pretty exciting. And there was a whole lot of feeling around mating and amphibians mating. And that creates just a lot of um, sensation of excitement about this new season. And as I'm feeling my way into this new moon and this next two-week cycle, there's an eclipse around this new moon. And that is exciting, but it also has this sensation of a little bit of fear, sort of that maybe it's a deep down kind of fear when the sun goes away. It feels like an uncertainty and We don't quite know what's going on. It's kind of mysterious. Now, of course, we know how eclipses happen, but there's something underneath that, that there's some mystery that we could be in the middle of the daytime and the sun disappears. And that's sort of the feeling around this. I do what I always do, and I listen to several different astrologers, and I get their take on things. And... From an astrological perspective, it sounds like this eclipse time is a time of letting go of some old things as we step into uh, a new way of being, really facilitating new systems that will be better for human beings and not just better for human beings, but better for all beings. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a little while, but one of the things that's being said is set a clear intention for this new moon. That's what you're always guided at a new moon time to set an intention. And um, that seems like a good idea, but I sort of wonder if somebody says that to me, have I really set my intention for the new moon or did I just think that was a good idea? And I'm going to suggest that you set the intention of developing 
or celebrating your relationship with your inner authority and your sovereignty and what it really means to find freedom with your own self. If you pay attention, there are so many ways that we um, limit our freedom. Some of it's conditioned and, and some of it's just familial patterns and some of it is just the culture that we live in. And so I'm feeling this need to suggest that we understand what real sovereignty is inside of us. What does it mean to be your own authority? Really, really, really. Because it sounds like this eclipse is bringing up issues of outer authority, maybe being difficult and painful, that we're looking at some ways that we've um, released our authority to outer structures, um, systems, that we think we will be protected by them. And then turns out that the intention never was to protect us. It was something completely different. So now we're, we're reclaiming our inner alignment with authority that's in us and how it guides our lives. And sometimes that's really just a simple thing, like choosing to answer your phone or not, um, choosing when you go to bed and, and what you eat and how you spend your free time. It doesn't have to be a political response, yet when we really respond to our own freedom, of course that becomes political eventually. So the intention is to align with sovereignty. Take a look at that. What does that mean? What does it mean to be free inside yourself? What does it mean to be free in your mind? It's not a simple task, <laughs> but it's a good intention. Every time I finish one of these podcasts, I usually get this great sense of satisfaction, of relief. There's this kind of building pressure and then a relief. And I feel like I've said everything that I need to say and I can let it go and I can rest. And even after a couple of days, I think, hmm, actually, I don't think there's anything left to talk about. I think I'm done <laughs> yet. <laughs> Here I am again with you, with a big old mouthful of words to share with you. And I guess that's sort of like the moon. There's a cycle that I'm participating in here, and it has a momentum of its own. And all I really need to do is show up. And so I offer you this. Maybe all you need to do is show up right now and ride the momentum of this moment. And let yourself take up the spaciousness of longer cycles of time. Maybe there's peace in watching life at the pace of the moon. So spring has arrived and there's a rather urgent feeling of the moment. What needs attending to? And what needs attending to simply? Is it your garden? Do you need to take your snow tires off? I mean, that's specific, I know, to folks that live up north. What can be approached right now and what needs more time? 
what does this new moon have in store for us? Let's quickly remember that our recent full moon had us returning and stilling. We were advised to turn around, revisit what we thought we were doing, and see it from a new perspective. It had us staying with the moment, meditating and being still. Basically, no big change was happening, and no great relief was happening either. Reports from my circles of friends and family included painful emotional spaces, feeling immense self-doubt, old issues coming to surface, negative inner talk, and not really any wondrous breakthroughs, yet there were still pockets of joy, pockets of wonder, like a cloudy day like today, where the sun shines through but only briefly, and as it shines through, it really opens a new perspective, sort of like seeing things in a way that you've never seen them before. I was feeling like I needed a little more support coming into this, and even though I don't always use this, I pulled a card from the Animal Spirit Guidebook that is by Kim Kranz. She has several, but this one was really the one that came to my hand. And I shuffled the cards and picked this one and sort of went, <gasps> like I wanted to put it back, but I don't do that. <laughs> I just, I, I try to just take a moment. My first reaction was, not that one. Um, it was, it is tarantula sitting right in front of me. And I did have that reaction, sort of like seeing a spider and wanting to back off. I don't hate spiders. I like them, but uh, they can be a little shocking if you weren't expecting them. And Tarantula tells us this. At a crossroad, claiming life's purpose. The Tarantula represents a moment when a great decision must be made. It involves prioritizing your life's deeper purpose, or Dharma. A habit or routine from the past is sidetracking you from your dream. Yet a voice inside keeps begging you to refocus your attention. In order to find true happiness, you must choose Dharma. This is an aside from me because happiness has really been commodified, hasn't it? And you could find happiness by buying the right bamboo sheets or something like that. But happiness in response to Dharma, I think of happiness as a, a, a spiritual satisfaction that is different than a physical sensation or a fleeting sense of happiness. So there might be a better word. But anyway, I don't know, it kind of throws me off in order to find true happiness as if true happiness was what we're looking for. Because that used to be something that really threw me off the sense that I thought I was going to find true happiness and that involved never feeling pain. So I have my own little story around that. You must choose Dharma as if you can't choose Dharma. Dharma is your path. You can't not choose your Dharma. Gosh, I'm having a little bit of a, uh, an argument with this, but I can let that go. We're going to read the rest. Until you do, satisfaction will be fleeting. The tarantula hovers, patient and calm, like an old friend that knows your inner soul. 
it already knows you'll choose wisely. Okay, so we've got Tarantula here with us. I think that responds to this eclipse. If indeed the astrologers are right and life looks a little bit sketchy on the outside in these coming weeks, maybe what we do need is that patience of the tarantula waiting, setting the course, knowing that we have a way to satisfy our dharma that there are ways that feel like we are more on our path than other ways, don't they? Even though the the things that feel hurty or not so right or not being in the right place at the right time also help us and point us back to being closer to and spending more time in places and with people and in situations and with rhythms that feel aligned with our spirit and our soul. I also felt like I needed to grab a huge handful of my angel cards for support, just needing a lot of care and support and connection. And what I got from these angel cards is surrender, birth, healing, clarity, and tenderness. I'm popping in here as a parenthetical note to advise you to check where your volume is right now because you may need to adjust it for this next section. I think the volume was going to drop down a little bit and um, I'm sorry about that. I'm trying to practice not being perfect and following my own levels of energy. So um, I'll explain that in a minute. But for now, just check your volume. Thank you. Here is that lovely sound of the peepers. you don't have that embedded in your mind recordings that's the real sound of spring the sound of the amphibians coming back and um, it feels warm and inviting it's gardening time again here in Maine and I've begun that delightful process of looking around and remembering things I've forgotten and making way for new plants. I often have a challenging time letting go of plants that aren't growing where I want them to grow, even weeds. It can be difficult for me to move them out of beds that are reserved for other plants. It's hard for me to um, separate and transplant and find homes for all the babies. I like to think about it philosophically sometimes and consider how difficult it is making decisions over other beings' lives. Sometimes I'm removing violets from my herb garden, for example, and wanting to find other homes for them rather than the compost. I have a hierarchical mindset that it's better to be planted somewhere else than to join the vast 
compost pile of all the things and turn back into soil. I feel like an emperor over my garden, choosing who lives and who dies. And I try to think about that sometimes when I'm wanting to villainize people, humans, who are having to make those decisions too. How do I decide what stays in and what goes? And why do I have an opinion that I should have cultivated gardens at all? Sometimes I wonder about letting everything go back to some kind of order decided by weeds and trees and growth and sunlight in the natural world that I'm not interfering with, but I can't help but enjoy the creative process of cooperating with plants and flowers and making something beautiful that lasts only for a season. And those violets that I want to save, I can't find the homes for them that I need to. Sometimes I think I'll pot them up and put them on the side of the road for free, but I don't have enough time or labor in me to do it all. And really the only reasonable place for them to go is the compost pile or into the woods. Give them one last chance. I see these decisions are so difficult for me, but I love the process. It feels like I'm allowed to experience some really deep thoughts while experimenting with my relationship with plants, animals, and the earth. There's a lot of talk lately about artificial intelligence and its role in our human future and the future of the earth. And it raises a lot of fears and projections like any expression of potential future does. I'm reading a book right now called Ways of Being, Animal, Plants, Machines, The Search for a Planetary Intelligence. And this is by James Bridle. And I've only just begun, so I can't speak to a recommendation of this book exactly, but it has gotten me thinking about artificial intelligence and I'm always looking for hope, right? That's my thing. How could some things work out for all of us? And yet maybe we're looking at the extinction of humans. And if that's the case in some way, I think, well, yeah, I understand that. This is an excerpt from the book. Lynn Margolis, the most significant evolutionary biologist of the 20th century, had this to say about our entanglement with non-human life. No matter how much our own species preoccupies us, life is a far wider system. Life is an incredibly complex interdependence of matter and energy among millions of species beyond and within our own skin. These earth aliens are our relatives, our ancestors, and part of us. They cycle our matter and bring us water and food. Without the other, we do not survive. The notion of a more than human world further intimates that these things are beings, not passive props in the drama of our own preoccupations, but active participants in our collective becoming. And because that becoming, that potential flourishing is collective, it demands that we recognize the beingness, the personhood of others. The world is made up of subjects, not objects. 
everything is really everyone. And all those beings have their own agency, points of view, and forms of life. The more than human world demands our recognition, for without it, we are nothing. And so when I think about artificial intelligence, yes, maybe we are looking at the extinction of humans. And if that's the case, in some way, I think, well, yeah, like maybe we had it coming. But if artificial intelligence had to consider the value of human life and the life of the ecosystem around human life, not just the value of human life in terms of corporate economics, but if everything was programmed into the algorithm, invisible labor, emotional labor, the value of plants, if everything was considered, artificial intelligence would have no choice but to make a better world for everyone, everything, all the beings, including, including, including. And so I think my hope is that all of this fear around artificial intelligence taking over the world and decimating our natural resources, which yes, of course, it would do if we don't stand up for our own right to be here and our individual worthiness. But my hope is that this fear points to the fact that we haven't yet insisted as humans that not only do we belong here, no matter how we fit into the hierarchy of the global economy, but that also all of the things that we love matter. And all of the things that we don't love matter. But the whole earth matters. The whole earth has a purpose. The soil, the ants, the cockroaches, the birds, the wind, the water. Of course, I wonder if we will wake up to the insanity of monetizing resources. Because now even the good feeling sense of investing in carbon sequestering is becoming commodified. And so instead of protecting the rights of plants and mycelium and microbial organisms, we are now enslaving single species to sequester carbon because it's financially viable. So it's as if everything needs to be rethought. And gosh, I am working so hard to do that internally and I have no answers because here I am this week again dealing with my chronic migraines where the physical sensation for me can be pretty painful. I am having to advocate for a state of being inside of myself that isn't top-notch and that I have to advocate that my value is intact not to anyone else to my own self even if I'm not at my most productive. And this week is Earth Day, which is a lovely sort of holiday. But like Black History Month and Women's History Month, if we actually loved and cared about the Earth, there would be no need for an Earth Day. It would always be Earth Day. And it points to the fact that we aren't quite where we could be in terms of honoring and valuing the very planet that we live on and depend on for our lives. So I have many more questions than I can attend to around what is to come. What are we contending with as we face this uncertain future? I do feel rather confident that part of our enormous responsibility to being alive at this time in human history 
is to wrestle with our internal value system. Really, what is important to you? How do you value your time? What equals enough resources and wealth for you? How do you care for your community? And what and who is your community? I'm not a good moneymaker. I'm working on that. But I do understand my value to the people closest to me. I really, really matter to my inner circles. I have a worth and a place, and it would just be different if I were gone. I'm not just a consumer in that realm, you see. And I think that sense of mattering needs to extend from our innermost feeling to the edges of what we know as our realities. It doesn't make sense that I matter intrinsically to the functioning of my family and that I don't count in the outer world. My mattering, the way I see it, doesn't extend very far into the outer world. And that's something that I think needs figuring with. I need to switch the dials and allow myself to matter all the way out into the universe. And that's sort of a reworking of my value system inside. And I think that's what we're looking at right now at this time. I mean, I don't mean to put my own sort of personal inquiries and queries onto you as if you're tasked with that. But I do think it lines up with this feeling, this intention around the new moon and this eclipse and this time that we're in right now. And another quick note to find your volume and you'll probably need to adjust it back down again right here. I listen to Channing Nicholas as an astrologer and there are so many good astrologers out there. She's just really easy to take bites of because I can catch little bits of her on Instagram and she just came out with a new post saying don't push it this eclipse season so that very last segment that I made the microphone wasn't plugged in and it was just sort of recording ambiently and if you go back just a little bit you can hear the wind is howling outside actually it rained and then the wind howled and it's not a very good sound recording but I can feel um I don't feel great. I can feel like I'm staving off a migraine and I'm not going to go back and re-record it even though I really want to and um, if I had lots of energy I would because I like it when it's a good sound quality. So that's just a little note there about that. Maybe right now is not the time to push through things. With all of this talk all of the thoughts that I'm having around this particular time, I advise you to go to my website. You've probably never been here. It's like tucked into a little hidden corner in my website. Go to anheadley.com and go to the About Me page. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and there is a download for a certificate of authority. I did this years ago, actually. It was sort of like just a little fun thing. I thought, oh, I've got a website. I can do whatever I want here. So I put this certificate there. You download it and you can put your own name in, print it out. And um, it certifies that you have successfully completed the training program requirement for I do what I want. 
and it's signed by me. Oh, <laughs> oh it has a funny little signature. Okay. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, you can check that out and have your own uh, certificate of authority to get you through these next two weeks. So let's move right into the reading. Hey God, hey universe, hey divine knower of what can be known, what does this new moon have in store for us? What can we know about these two weeks? What will help us understand this time? How can we be guided? And the hexagram that we received is hexagram nine, small taming. And this hexagram didn't change. It's an unchanging hexagram. So we are set to look at only this one thing. It's not moving. We've got one thing to focus on, and it's small taming. A time of small taming brings great hope for future. It brings hope for growth and success. It's just that, at present, there is no rain only clouds, and all they have brought so far is gloom. So can you get a sense of that? Like if we're looking at this great hope, this great future, but right now it's just gloomy, I think that might be how it's going to feel for us. Inwardly, there are unchanging principles. Outwardly, your actions gradually take on the shape of those inner principles. This is self-cultivation that aligns you with creative power. It concentrates on growing potential rather than bringing about results. And I have the I Ching workbook that I always use when I have an unchanging hexagram because it's the only one I have that really talks specifically about this is what it means if it's unchanging. And instead of small taming, this interpretation is restrained, the taming power of the small. In unchanging form, this suggests that the object of your inquiry is blocked by a small yet permanent influence. Nothing can be done externally. Salvation, if it exists, lies in work on the self. Refine your impulses and desires. That actually just feels so validating to me after me reaching around and getting a sense for all of this, this time. It really is, yes, things are changing. Will we see it in the outer world? No. What can we do? Go inside. It's not, um, I guess, that satisfying sometimes. It's like, it really is like the beginning of gardening season. There's a lot that can be done, but it's quite invisible and there's seeds that are being planted but they won't arrive for months and harvest won't be even months after that so right now really is the time to settle in and focus intention and like for me in my garden right now I really have the opportunity to feel that responsibility of putting those violets in the compost pile it's either like before, it would be really this sort of, I would say, I will plant them or I will give them away or I'll make a new violet bed somewhere and then not be able to get around to it. 
So this year I actually know I don't have the time to do that. So when I place them in the compost pile, I can have this beautiful, glorious compost pile that's creating new soil and making new spaces for gardens that I've never even imagined. So there's something about taking responsibility for my choices at every level, big and small, that allows this greater transformation to occur. Now in this book, Total I Ching, it says that hexagram nine is small accumulates, gathering the ghosts. And that's just kind of a romantic way of thinking about it, isn't it? Accumulate small to do the great. Nurture, raise, support. And I'm going to read this about the taming's power of the small. It is as if your strong impulses, good intentions, and serious plans were held in check by some unknown external detail. With some frustration, you can see all of the necessary elements in the attainment of your goals, yet nothing fits together the way it must. In every way you try, you are restrained from taking significant action. The ancient Chinese described this hexagram as dense clouds, no rain, a singularly unfulfilling situation. However, there is some promise of mild success through small, gentle improvements. Grand schemes are out of the question. And actually, I think that's it. I think I've said what needs saying about this next cycle of time. I wish you well these next two weeks as you work with the intention of developing friendliness with your sovereignty your inner authority? What do you have the right to decide inside your own self? I'm going to tell you this little anecdote before we're done here. Uh, many years ago, I set reminders on my phone and my kids make fun of me, but a couple of times a day, I'll get different reminders popping up. And one of them happens in the morning and it says, I love you, exclamation point. And um, that's been a nice reminder. And it was really sweet as I was going through a divorce and feeling a lot of heartbreak. I would love to get that reminder like, oh yeah, I, I love you. But this morning it popped up for me and it was the first time I ever had this response to my phone's reminder. And it popped up, I love you, exclamation point. And I said back to my phone in that very moment, I love you too. And it wasn't to my phone. It was back to me who set that reminder in the first place. It was like a little quantum leap of time where I was genuinely feeling the love for that person who created that reminder years and years ago. It took me, mm, was that five years ago? It took me years to accept that in a way that I genuinely could not just receive I love you and hear it and be reminded, but to feel it inside that I wanted to respond back. And I don't know, maybe that's silly, but it seemed significant to me. It was like a little win over my inner authority that says it's a, that I'm allowed to love myself back for no reason at all. 
And with that, I leave you for now to enjoy these next couple of weeks. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to help me make more podcasts and support my creativity, you can join me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash watermoon studios. It helps if you rate and review the podcast. And if you would like to give me money for the podcast, I believe on Spotify, there is a place for that as well. Um, right under my name.